Well, our subject this evening is concerning Moses and the prophets. And we've read that chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 24. And you will know that the Lord Jesus spoke about Moses and the prophets there in verse 27. Moses and all the prophets. It was from those books of the prophets that he expanded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I like to point out really that whenever I think of this text, you may not think it's to do with our subject particularly tonight, but it is important to remember when Christ was preaching in all the scriptures, all the scriptures, that was all the Old Testament, it began at Moses. In other words, Moses wrote Genesis 1. If you've got to start at the beginning... You start with Moses. I do mention that because so many of these liberals and modernists these days try and say that Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. (coughs) But Moses did write the Pentateuch. The Lord Jesus Christ affirms that elsewhere in the Gospel stories. You will know that. But uh, these things were written down by Moses. You may say it's not important who actually wrote it. Well, there is a sense in which that's right because... Every scripture is inspired by the Holy Ghost. But on the other hand, when the scriptures teach us that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, it's a blatant rebellion and opposition to say that it was written by lots of different people at different times. And of course there's a reason why they say that. But be that as it may, we're thinking tonight of um, Moses and the prophets. And we're thinking of that story of the, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ drew near to them and went with them. And although they didn't recognise him, he was able to tell them some very precious things out of Moses and the prophets. Now, if you turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. That's right, it's good to have a Bible and good to look all these texts up. I think think it's so important that people should look in their Bibles and make sure the ministers are saying things that are right. You know, lots of ministers misquote scriptures, lots of ministers say things that are wrong. I'm sure many of them may be well-intentioned men, but it's good to look in the Bible all the time. That's what the Bereans did. They had the Apostle Paul preaching to them, but they looked in the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was right. And if if the Bereans did that and they're commended for doing it, it's certainly very good that you look and see what I say, see if what I say is right. But I was telling you to Acts chapter 10, this is the story, of course, of Peter preaching to Cornelius, and his uh, household, and it, it comes towards the end of his sermon, in verse 43, and this is what he said to in the household of Cornelius, to him, he's been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, to Jesus, give all the prophets witness. That really means that all the prophets speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus talking to these two disciples, 
He could speak about himself. He did speak about himself. And he could speak about himself from the scriptures. And the scriptures were, of course, the Old Testament scriptures, not the Apocrypha. He never quoted the Apocrypha. It's the Old Testament scriptures, which we call Genesis to Malachi. Their scriptures were a little different, of course. Um, They had the law and the prophets and the Psalms uh, in that order. And there were only 24 books in the Jewish Old Testament. But that's not because they were any different from our Old Testament. They may have been in a different order, but it was exactly the same books. But the minor prophets were all one book, and Samuel was all one book, and Kings were all one book, and Chronicles were all one book, and so on. So that there were only 24. But it's the same... The Lord Jesus Christ had the same scriptures that we have. And uh, it was from that he preached. Spurgeon has a lovely sermon on this text, you know. It's one that I've loved anyway and got a lot of help from. He talks about that the Saviour had the best of books. He went to all the scriptures. That was the best book to preach from. And then Spurgeon says that apart from the best of books... They had the best of teachers. They had the Lord Jesus Christ teaching them. And then Spurgeon says, they also had the best of subjects because he talked about things concerning himself. It was lovely for those, just two disciples. Do we think we are few here tonight? When Jesus walked on the way to the Emmaus, he had a congregation of two. But where two or three are, (laughs) the Lord was there. The Lord was there preaching to them. And he preached from the best book, He was the best of teachers and he preached about himself, the best of subjects. There are one or two other scriptures I'd like to point you to. Turn back a chapter 2 to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 31. He's talking here to the twelve and this is what he says. We go up to Jerusalem. To notice this, all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Now Christ was concerned with all things that were said by the prophets. Everything, everything they said. He was interested, of course, in those things which concerned his first coming, and he was interested in those things that concerned his second coming. And when we say all the prophets, it means every prophet was preaching, teaching about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the major prophets. But there was the others too. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all of them. All the prophets, every one. Now look, I've got a big subject tonight then, haven't I? Really, I've got to preach the whole of the Old Testament. (laughs) But that's what the Lord Jesus Christ really did. He summed up the Old Testament teaching of all the prophets. And as well, the law, he summed that all up together as he spoke to those two disciples on the road to Maus. Now turn over, if you will, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. 
And in verse 56, he's talking about Abraham. He says that Abram rejoiced to see my day. That was before Isaiah and Jeremiah. So that's going right back to the old times, isn't it? But Abraham understood the message of the Old Testament about Christ. There were some Jews that never did understand it. But there were a lot of Jews that did understand it, and Abraham was one. And when Abraham brought his sacrifices to God, he knew very well that those sacrifices which he offered could never do away with sin. And you can say the same with Moses. Moses instituted, under God of course, a lot of sacrifices, different offerings. But none of those ever did away with sin. All the blood of goats and all the blood of bulls could never wash away sin. But inasmuch as the old Jewish saints saw they were just a type of one who would come, who would be slain, who would shed his blood for sin, and there would be remission of sin, and as they trusted in him, and that's what Abraham did. Abraham could see right down the ages to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and he would die for sinners, and through that death there would be salvation. And Abraham believed in God, and he was saved. And that is, of course, true of the, all the Old Testament saints. No, no, none of those Old Testament saints were saved in any other way. And people could say, well, they never saw the Messiah, but they believed the promise of God that the Messiah would come. They believed it. And you can say, if you like, we've never seen the Messiah anyway. We just believe what we know has happened because it's recorded in the scripture. And our fathers have told us so all these Old Testament saints were saved just like we are and they all rejoiced to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, the Christ of God, coming to die for sin. Now if you turn back to Luke 2, and you hardly need to do this because you know the story quite well, it says in Luke 2 about a man called Simeon. Simeon. It says there, in one of those verses, he came by the Spirit into the temple and he recognised the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it was revealed unto him. Verse 26. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he would see the Lord's Christ. I've got to go back another verse, didn't I? Verse 25. There was a man named was Simeon he was just and devout. And what was he doing? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He believed what was written in the scriptures, Moses and all the prophets. He believed that and he was waiting for the fulfilment of it. I've no doubt that he worked it out from what it says in the book of Daniel that it would be about that time when the Messiah would come. And so he was just looking forward in anticipation, thinking that the Saviour must come soon. And then God revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he actually saw the Messiah. And wasn't that a wonderful thing? And he didn't die till he'd taken up the Lord Jesus Christ in his arms. And you can say the same about Anna if you look down the chapter. 
um, in one of those verses that says about Anna, verse 36, I think it is, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, right up in the tribe of Asa, right up in the north. She was of a great age too. She'd been a widow for many years. It says that there somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, four score and four, it says in verse 37, doesn't it? She'd been a widow for 84 years and she had a husband four years, so it was 91 years, so she was a very great age, 91 years before, before that she'd got married. But she was one who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. That's what it says in verse 38. And she wanted to tell people about this. Those people who were interested in being redeemed, those people who were interested in having their sins forgiven, she was one there to tell them that the Messiah was going to come. She was like Simeon, uh, looking for the consolation of Israel. So that's all a, a very marvellous thought, isn't it? They believed Moses and the prophets, and they were looking forward to the coming of the Saviour. Now if I can give you another reference, in Matthew 26, in Matthew 26, in verse 53, Jesus is talking about that he could call twelve leaders and his angels to save him, because they were saying, you know, can't he save himself? But verse 54 clinches the matter. He wouldn't do that because the scriptures must be fulfilled. What God has said through Moses and the prophets, he will perform. It will actually happen. I think this is a great encouragement to us, isn't it? We who profess to believe that God says what he means and means what he says, it's a great thought, isn't it? God will fulfill everything he said. And you will well that, know that well known verse in John chapter 5, verse 39, where it says, Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. They were looking for eternal life by reading the Old Testament scriptures. But Jesus says there, They are they which testify of me. The Old Testament scriptures testify of Christ. Now look, I'm only going to show you t or talk tonight about just a very few of those scriptures. We, we can't possibly look at them all. I don't know how the Lord Jesus Christ did it on the road to Emmaus, but he obviously picked out some very fine scriptures to explain to those two. And it cheered them up. They said their hearts burned within them while he opened up unto us the scriptures and talked with us by the way. Let's talk in that order, shall we? Firstly, the law. Um, you noticed in that Luke 24, didn't you, in verse 44, the scriptures are divided into three parts. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And I thought we could just quickly go through some of these things which are in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Can I just emphasise something, though, by looking at John chapter 5, John chapter 5 and uh, verse 46. Jesus said, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Why? Here's the answer. For he wrote of me. What is written in the law is written about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you go back to those Old Testament scriptures, I suppose the obvious one I've got to say, first of all, is Genesis 3.15, isn't it? You remember that when Adam sinned, he took of the forbidden fruit, The word in those days to the serpent who had beguiled Eve, in verse 15, Genesis 3, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. So right in the early days of history, a seed of the woman was promised. Um, you could say, if you like, how can a woman have a seed? You know, it's a child is of the seed of the man. <laughs> how can a woman have a seed? Well, we know, of course, how it all happened. We know the story of the way in which Mary conceived and bore the Lord Jesus Christ. But this this seed was going to bruise the serpent's head. That's what it says in Genesis 3, verse 15. So very, very much at the very beginning of the Bible, we have the, the um, promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Redeemer was going to come and deal with the serpent. If you turn over to the next chapter, you see the Lord Jesus Christ in type because um, Cain brought his offering uh, the things of the ground uh, and God was displeased with that he had not respect unto Cain and his offering but Abel Abel by faith brought of the first things of the flock and blood was shed aha there was no type of the Lord Jesus Christ in the bloodless fruit of the ground but in Abel's offering there was faith. He did it, not that the offering that he brought would go away with his sin, but it was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get so many of these pictures in the Old Testament, so many types of Christ, over and over again. And there's a lovely picture really in Genesis 22. You know the well-known story, of course you do. It's the story of, of Abraham taking Isaac up Mount Moriah. And they were just about to slay Isaac and offer him to God. And Jehovah called out and said, no, no. And uh, Abraham turned and there was a ram caught in the thicket. That's there in verse 13. And the ram was sacrificed instead of Isaac. It was, it's a beautiful picture. And of course in verse 8, Abraham says there, God will provide himself a lamb. And God was going to provide a lamb. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the one offering for sin in which Abraham believed. But of course there are many promises about God's dealings with Abraham and the nations. You know, if you turn back to chapter 12 of Genesis, in verse 2, it says, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless 
them that bless thee and curse him that curses me. I think you ought to pray that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't get in. I'm not getting into politics, but he's an anti-Semite, seems to me, from what they tell us anyway. And um, that would bring the curse of God upon England, wouldn't it? I can remember my father saying to us boys, I was a boy at the time in 1940 or 1939, saying to us boys that Hitler would lose the war because he's gone against the Jews. And that was a, something to say because Hitler was just marching across the countries, France and Belgium and Holland and Denmark and all those countries, doing just what he liked and no one seemed to be able to stop him. And yet my father said to us, he'll lose the war because he's gone against the Jews. Isaiah 54, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And this is what God was saying, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And then they shall all families of the earth be blessed. And that was a promise, of course, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in a way, that was repeated over and over again in these chapters. But if you go back to chapter 22 that we just looked at, you will see that, uh, that um, it says there in verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It wasn't just to be the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation was to be blessed. But all the nations will be blessed. How would that be? That would be by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you see the Lord Jesus Christ walking along that road to Emmaus, talking to those two disciples and saying some of these things? I don't know what he said. But he could have talked about the woman's seed. He could have talked about Abraham as a, of Abel as a type. Or the story of Abraham and the type there. And, and these other things in, in prophecy that uh, he spoke about. Um, if we turned over to Exodus 12, my wife and I have just been reading through Exodus. And Exodus 12, of course, is a marvellous story of that day when Israel was brought out of Egypt. How every family was to take a lamb, sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And if that was so, those inside would be safe. But in the Egyptians' houses where there was no blood, the firstborn in every house was slain by the angel of death. It happened, literally. But what a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then on each he setteth his own secret sign. They that have my spirit, these saith he are mine. Those who are truly Christ are safe from the wrath of God, the holy God who hates sin. We could talk about Numbers 21, couldn't we? The story of the brazen serpent, where the serpent was placed on the pole and the people were told if they were bitten by a serpent to look at this serpent of brass. What's the good of looking at a piece of brass when you're dying? But that's what they were told to do. And if they thought that's a stupid thing to do and didn't look, they died. But if they did look, they were made better. And Jesus said, didn't he, in John 3, this is a marvellous type of him. As the serpent was lifted up in the pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he was lifted up upon the tree in Calvary to die. And then, of course, there are other things that we find in, in the law as well. 
in uh, Deuteronomy 18, in verse 15, it says, Jehovah thy God will raise up to thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, like unto Moses. Who was that prophet? Well, it was the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. 18, verse 18 says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and will put my words into his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I command him and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name I will require it of him. So, there's plenty in the law. We've just gone and rushed through a few texts. But there's plenty in the law of Moses which speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly about his death and the shedding of his precious blood. But we were reading the other day, reading through Exodus, we were reading Exodus 15, the Song of Moses. We've been singing about the Song of Moses, haven't we, in the hymn just earlier. Well, this is a marvellous song, and it's referred to in the book of Revelation, of course, the Song of Moses. But in Exodus 15, verse 18, it says there, Jehovah shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that marvellous? And people say he's reigning now. Well, he is reigning. God is in control of everything that happens. Of course he is. Everything that happens is predetermined by God. But he's not manifestly reigning, is he? What notice does Mrs May take? of the word of God. What notice does President Putin take of the word of God? Or all these other world leaders? But there will be a time when the Lord will manifestly reign upon the earth. So, when the Lord Jesus Christ was walking with those disciples to Emmaus and he spoke from Moses, there are such a lot of things that he could have said and I don't know what he said. But there are masses of things that could have been said from the law. But let's go on to the prophets, shall we? Because we've got to hasten. You know, there's some obvious prophecies I'm going to speak to you about now. And one of them is Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Because this verse, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, includes the first coming and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says there about Bethlehem Ephrata, though there will be little among the thousands of Judah, yet of thee shall he come forth. And he did come forth. And you know there was another Bethlehem in Zebulun. You read that in the book of Joshua. But Micah is quite emphatic that it's Bethlehem Ephrata in the land of Judah. It was the Bethlehem in Judah where the Messiah would be born. And when it came to be fulfilled... It was in Bethlehem that he would be born. Now you could say no king would be born in Bethlehem. <laughs> if there was going to be a king born, he would be born in Jerusalem. And of course that's what Herod thought, wasn't it? would be born in Jerusalem. That's what the wise men thought. They followed the star for a while, but when he got towards Jerusalem, they stopped there and said, where is he? They didn't wait to follow the star all the way to Bethlehem, first of all. But the scripture said he would be born in Bethlehem of Judah. And the truth is that the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah. 
He lived, his, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. But they weren't in Nazareth when he was born. They came down because Caesar gave a special decree. They came down to Bethlehem and they were there when the child was born. There's another well-known text that I must mention and that's Isaiah chapter 7. Read such a lot in December time. Incidentally, Christ was never born in uh, December, but they make a lot of December the 25th, don't they? But it's read at that time of the year. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, how can a virgin conceive? It's a biological impossibility. But Isaiah said it would happen. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. You and I know that it did happen. It was a wonderful thing. It did happen. The Lord Jesus Christ was virgin born. But you can understand, can't you, some of these people in the olden times saying, whatever is Isaiah talking about, the man must be crackers saying that a virgin would bear a son. It can't happen. But it did happen. And that's just how I feel. When people say to me about things of the second coming, they say it can't happen. But it can happen and it will happen. Everything that God has said will happen. We can believe everything this book says. All that Moses and the prophets said and all that the New Testament says will come to pass. It will happen. Of course, I can't skip over Isaiah 53, can I? But you know the passage well. It talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and the suffering Saviour. How can you understand that a man who was to be king of the Jews should suffer such a cruel death? But it all happened just like that. And when Isaiah said that he is despised and rejected of men, verse 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, that did actually happen. When he says in verse 4, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, it did happen. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, with his stripes we are healed. It did literally happen. And if you turn over the pages of your Bible to Zechariah, the second from the last book in the Old Testament, you'll read there in uh, chapter 9 and verse 9. Thy king cometh unto thee, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now how stupid could a prophet be? Fancy saying a king would ride on an ass. Kings ride on horses. But the prophet wasn't stupid. He was writing the word of God. And God said that's what would happen, and it did happen, literally. He did sit on an ass, and he did ride into Jerusalem on an ass. The verse was completely fulfilled. Turn over to chapter 11 of Zechariah. 
And look at verse 12. Talks there about weighing a price of 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said, cast it unto the potter. Well, you know what happened. I don't need to tell you, do I? But look at it in the New Testament, if you will. It was for 30 pieces of silver that Judas betrayed the Lord. And the money was ultimately cast out and bought the potter's field. It literally happened. How could it happen, you might say? But it did happen. The Bible is always right. Moses and the prophets were always right. Look at chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man is my fellow, says Jehovah of hosts. Smite the shepherd. And that's exactly what did happen. It was absolutely true. Turn back to Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1. Again, it's a well-known verse, and I feel as if I'm bringing to you verses that you all know very well. But it's good to look at them, isn't it? Lamentations chapter 1, verse 12 says, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith Jehovah hath afflicted me. And we know that's what happened. Jehovah hath placed on him the iniquity of us all. Jehovah hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Jehovah was angry against sin and he always must be angry against sin. It all literally happened. But I believe that when Jesus was walking along that road to Emmaus, he would have said other things about himself. And he would have said about the time when he will come in glory. Definitely he would have talked about his suffering. But there are some marvellous pieces. You know, once you start talking about the prophets, it seems impossible to pass over Daniel, didn't it? doesn't it? You remember that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of that great image? And he forgot his dream, but Daniel was able to tell him what the dream was and he told him what it meant. In verse 31 he says, a great image, that's what Nebuchadnezzar saw. And he goes on to say about these different metals of which the image was made. The head was of gold, the breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron and so on. But then he talks about a stone being cut out, verse 34, without hands. It smote the image upon his feet and break it all to pieces. That is what happened. And when he gives the explanation of that, he, he talks about these metals as being four great kingdoms. And then he talks about the end of the days when God would set up a kingdom. And you can't have a kingdom without a king. And the king was to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can go on to chapter 7. Another well-known chapter, these four beasts coming out of the great sea. Again, it speaks of the four kingdoms. But in the end, it's conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, I saw in the night vision one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, that hasn't happened yet, all people, nations and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Can't you imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ would have talked about that and he would have talked too about Daniel 8, I'm sure. But let's go on to Zechariah 14. We talked about that a little bit this afternoon, didn't, didn't we? Wouldn't he have said something about this? Zechariah 14, his feet shall... This is what Zechariah was saying about the Messiah. His feet shall stand in that day. He's talking about the great day when the Lord will fight against nations in verse 3. We've read that already. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two, and so on, you feel? And then it goes on to say in verse 9, And Jehovah shall be king over all the earth. And if you will go on to the end of the chapter, you will see what a marvellous time it will be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been a city of conflict all through the centuries. The devil has made sure of that. But in verse 20, There shall be upon the bells of the horses in Jerusalem holiness unto Jehovah, and the pots in the Lord's house, Jehovah's house, shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem, can you imagine what this means? Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto Jehovah of hosts. And that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of Jehovah of hosts. And we could go on, couldn't we? You know, if we had the time, we could look at all those last 27 chapters in Isaiah. They're wonderful chapters which talk about Christ coming and reigning in glory. Perhaps we might not omit chapter 2 of Isaiah because that talks about the coming of the Lord. Chapter 2 of Isaiah. When we went to Israel... I thought I was an old man then. That was eight years ago. And I said to Mr Douglas, I said, I don't suppose I shall ever come back here again. And he said to me, yes, you will. <laughs> well, Isaiah 2 tells us the story, doesn't it? In the last days that the mountain of Jehovah's house should be established in the top of the mountains and should be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. What a wonderful thing. All people going to Jerusalem, come ye, they will be saying, and let us go up unto the mountain of Jehovah. Well, that doesn't happen now, does it? Well, if they did go, there's just a Mohammedan mosque there. But this is what they'll be saying when the Lord comes. Let us go up to the house of the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. Out of Zion, and Zion means Zion, that's in Jerusalem, shall go forth the law and the word of Jehovah from Jerusalem. And that will be the pure word of Jehovah. There won't be any modern versions, any corrupt versions. It's going to be the pure word of God that goes out of Jerusalem when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Well, that, that scripture is reiterated in Michael chap Micah chapter 4, but we haven't got time to look at that really because that's not really the end of the prophets, is it? You know, when Jesus said the law of the prophet and the Psalms... The prophets included the Psalms. If you look at Acts chapter 2, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he starts to talk about David. And it says in verse 29, Let me freely speak unto you about Patriarch David. 
But what he says about him in verse 30 is, therefore being a prophet. David was a prophet. So when you have the law, prophets and psalms, that would be included in the term Moses and all the prophets. And of course if you think of the psalms, there is such a lot in the psalms. I don't know whether any of you have got Mr... Newton's little book, I haven't got any with me today, Dark Sayings on the Harp. I mean, it was printed 100 years ago, I expect. Well, probably before the SJ was formed, SJT was formed. But it's a lovely little, it's a lovely little compendium of psalms. It tells you what the psalms really say. You know, you get some brilliant commentaries on the psalms, like Spurgeon and so on, but they don't always tell you what the psalms say. De Burr does, but... Mr. Newton's little book, Dark Saints on the Harp, tells you what the Psalms say. And the Psalms do speak about Christ. I, I, I've got to mention, haven't I, Psalm 22. It's a well-known psalm, but it starts with the words that Jesus uttered on the cross. And it does talk about, it does talk about the suffering Messiah. Some people put these three psalms, don't they? 22, 23 and 24. The, um, the substitute, the shepherd and the sovereign. Anyway, verse 1 says the words of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know the answer to that. It was because he took our place and took our sin upon himself. But I mean, you've got other verses in this um, psalm, like verse 16. Dogs have compassed me about, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. He goes on to say, they pierced my hands and my feet. That literally happened. His hands were pierced and his feet were pierced. That didn't happen to David. But David was inspired to write these things about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah that would come. David's saviour. David's offspring as well as David's saviour. David's lord. I may tell all my bones, for we know not a bone of his was broken. Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That literally happened. They did do that, take his various garments. But when the vesture was all woven together, they couldn't do anything about it and they just um, split it, well, gave it into one. We could mention Psalm 110. What a wonderful psalm that is, isn't it? But um, perhaps we'll skip that for the moment. Do you remember Psalm 2? Psalm 2 talks about the end of the age, isn't it? When nations rage and people imagine a vain thing, kings of the earth are setting themselves against the rulers, and the rulers take counsel together against Jehovah and against his Christ, his anointed. Let us cast their bands asunder. We don't want God's law. That's what they'll be saying at the end of the age. That's what they are saying. They've tried to dispose of the Lord's Day. They've tried to dispose of marriage. Let's put God's law aside. But it says here in heaven shall laugh. And it says in verse 6, He has set my hill upon the my holy hill of Zion. And Zion is in Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus Christ will reign there. But there are lots of others we could turn. You know, Job was in the Psalms, in that section called the Psalms. Job says, doesn't he, although he was so tempted and tried, he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. Chapter 19, verse 25. 
And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ talking about that on the road to Emmaus? Job knew that even if worms chewed him up, and if worms chew me up when I'm gone, yet my body will be raised by God. That's, that's not impossible to God. They burn people today thinking that they can't then be resurrected, but of course they'll be resurrected. God will raise everyone from the dead. It will be a bodily, physical resurrection. And Job believed it. He would see Christ himself. These are wonderful things that were written in the Psalms. And of course, I was going to talk about Psalm 67 and Psalm 72. You know, Psalm 67 is a lovely little psalm about the time when the earth shall yield her increase and God, even our own God, that's the God of the Jews, of course, shall bless us. God shall bless us, but all the ends of the earth shall fear him. But Psalm 72, a psalm for Solomon, but it speaks of a more or a greater king than Solomon. It talks of the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonderful things that will happen. Verse 17, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and so on. It's all a wonderful thing. It talks about people giving gifts to him in the earlier part. It talks about a handful of corn in verse 16, on the top of a mountain, and the fruit shall shake like Lebanon. When I went to Wales, first time they told me that to be a mountain you had to be a thousand feet high. And then I heard that you can't grow corn over a thousand feet. So in other words, you can't grow corn on a mountain. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, there'll be growing corn on the mountain and there'll be plenty of it. There won't be the lean and ill-favoured ears. It'll all be the, the, the fat ears, the good ears. So wonderful it will be when the Lord comes again. So the man from, who's um, come from the north of Scotland today, he said to me, if you're going to take this subject tonight, are you going to talk about what Jesus said about Moses and the prophets? Are you going to talk about Moses and the prophets said about Jesus? I said, well, I shall talk about what Jesus said about Moses and the prophets, that they taught of him. And so I'll tell them, people tonight, that what Moses and the prophets said about him. And that's what I've tried to do.